welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. I just want to talk about a few things before we start. And the first thing I want to talk about is our King's Church Conference. Churches do conferences, and you say, why does a church, why would a church do a conference? I don't feel like doing a conference. I certainly don't feel like paying more money to go to church. <laughs> I was always like, when people are like charging for conference, I'm like, what do you, I don't want to pay more money to go to church. I don't even want to go to church in the first place. Why don't I now need to pay to go to a conference? It wasn't this church, it was a terrible church, obviously. And I realized as I grew in the Lord that the joining of the people of God for concentrated periods of time has always been a part of the history of the people of God. From the nation of Israel through the early church to now, there have been feasts and festivals and time periods where we say, God, I'm committing this time to you. Because oftentimes, and God made this really cool system where he set up seven days on the six days you sh- the six days you should labor, on the seventh day you rest. That day, the seventh day, the Sabbath is holy. It's sanctified unto God. So we go to church and say, God, this day is yours. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to rest in the new covenant. I'm going to be encouraged by your spirit. I'm going to bring you a sacrifice of praise. It's going to be a great day. And that is good. God created that cycle. But inside of that cycle of one every seven days, touching God, meeting God, showing up, talking to God, hearing about God's stuff, he also has throughout the people of Israel these pictures of where they would spend three days or five days or seven days because sometimes through life our hearts get hard and it's being banged around in life and it's the trials of life and it's COVID and it's lunatic governors that say we're supposed to be her apostles of the COVID vaccine. It's all kinds of lunacy. And your heart just gets hard. And you're like, this is a crazy world. My heart is getting hard. And sometimes you need the presence of God, the reign of God, to patter upon your hearts for more than 30 minutes. For more than even an hour and a half service. But concentrated time in the presence of God with the people of God to say, God, will you soften my heart over this period of time? And then it makes it easier for us to receive a word from him. You know, when I was first in New York City and God called us and we had our pastors backing us and we had prayer warriors and it was incredibly dark, incredibly hard time. I remember going to like a church service that was horrible and, and I hated it and my whole life was horrible and I hated everything, but hearing one word from God that gave me the life inside of me to get through another week. Sometimes you're in that season and sometimes you're like, God, I just need a word. I need a promise. I need to be reminded of who you are to get me through right now. Well, when we do a concentrated time with God, and he softens our heart, then we can get a boost. We can get a lot of words from God. We can get really encouraged by his spirit. And, I know, and I, this doesn't mean like if you're a baby Christian, you need a conference. Or if you're, this is, I, there are times in my life I say I need to go to a conference to spend three, to, three days with God, to worship for three days, to hear the word for three days, to be encouraged for three days, to remember who I am. To be reminded my identity in Christ. Because I don't live in that state perpetually. I live out here, right? I live with the, with the, the secular news media and the chaos and going into a restaurant and, and, and seeing insane. It's a crazy world we live in right now. 
we live in a battle zone. We live in a, in a political era that's trying to take rights away. That's, I mean, I just posted this thing on my Instagram, the real problem with Christianity from a political perspective. Like, we have an actual hostile world against our faith and our, and our belief system, and we need to spend time in a place that's safe and protected and that we get rained on and we get the presence of God that touches down in our life. So this is not pastoral manipulation. This is not like, oh, my God, I need everybody. Listen, if everybody signs up from the conference, we'll have no more space. We're already, you know, a third of the way uh, not sold out. You can't be a third sold out. We're a third of the tickets are sold. Um, and so we're not going to have enough space. But I'm saying to people that aren't sure, that have a hungry heart, Everybody's got a hungry heart. <laughs> it was going to come. It was going to come. <laughs> I can't say it and not sing it, Gabe. I can't. <laughs> uh, Bruce Springsteen, young people. Bruce with the boss, young people. Um, I'm saying it for people to say there's a theological precedent for the people of God to say, I'm spending concentrated time with God and the presence of God. It's not just something, we're not trying to be a cool church. It's not like, hey, we're a cool church, now we have a conference. No, this is to spend concentrated time in the presence of God and say, God, will you rain on me for a few days straight in a row and just rain on my heart? I might need to take a day off work. I need, might need to fast as I approach. I want to say, God, I'm going to spend these days. God, I don't expect everything to be a home run message. You know, especially if my pastor's preaching, that won't happen. But I expect to receive a word from you. I expect to hear your promises over my life. I expect them to be sown into a soft place in my heart and for me to hold on to those promises. Is that good, church? Is that okay? Cool. Okay, the next thing is that next week we have next steps. So if you're new to church and you want to be a part and get figure out what our church is about, we'd love for you to join. I think last next steps we had 25 new people, and this we have 20. We have another 20 plus people. We have a lot of people that are coming to church and wanting to be a part of King's Church, and I just wanted to say as a pastor, if you're new and you're like, this is really a cool church, and, uh, and one day it'll become like a, a really amazing church, corporate church with like lots of programs and departments, and there'll be like all kinds of systems and analytics. I just want you to know that's not the case. I just, want you to know, I just want to be up front with everybody. My plan is not to have a corporate church. You know, there's, there's companies right now in the United States that their systems are so good, their analytics are so good, their marketing is so good, that they can sell you poison and you'll buy it. It's called McDonald's. It's called, it's called, it's called trash. It's called, <laughs> who my son Leon loves. I actually have a soft space in my heart for Big Macs as well, so it's genetically passed upon him. It's not his fault. Blame me. Blame me. The sin is passed. Um, they, they're so good at systems, at methods. Listen, this is a, I'm making a spiritual point here. They're so good at systems and methods and metrics and data and programs that they can sell you garbage and you eat it. And they, they're successful and they grow. And they're profitable. And there's a church in America today that has amazing metrics and marketing and systems and programs. And they're missing the actual nutrients of the word of God, the sword of God, and the spirit of God. And we're like, it tastes great. Yeah, but you're going to have a heart attack and die. As, a, as an obese Christian, spiritually. 
you're gonna have a coronary heart attack. Your aorta is going to explode. And so my, so, so our, is, our church is growing, it's awesome, there's a lot of momentum, but I want you to know, I really think, like when I look at the church, I look at the historical church from 2,000 years ago and what's been passed down to us. It hasn't been programs and departments and metrics and systems. It's been the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God joining to partake in those things. Like the church has turned into a carnival. Like I need to have my own carnival ride. Like why, where's my carnival ride? Like I'm, I can't wait till the church grows so I have my own carnival ride. Like <laughs> there will be no rides. <laughs> there will be no Gravitron. <laughs> there will be a people that are that are have burning, hungry hearts for God, and there will be, we will be seeking His heart and His presence, and we will be looking at His Word, and we will not hide away from the hard parts or the scary parts. And when the world is burning around us, I won't be talking about your finances. I'll be talking about how we as believers are called to navigate. A, a, a crumbling society. And that's who we're going to be. And will we grow? Yeah, of course we're going to grow. God's going to bless us. We're going to be planting churches. We're, we're, there's three churches right now on the docket that I'm talking to that we're, I'm helping oversee planting because other people are like, we want that too. We want that too. The goal is not to be a million people. The goal is to have a group of people that have hot, burning hearts for Jesus. And who aren't playing games and like cutting out scriptures and doing stupid stuff, like chasing mysticism all the time, but they're grounded in God's word and they have burning hearts for Jesus. And so um, what's the point of that? I'm excited for people to come to next steps, but I don't want to be deceptive. I don't want you to think like we're building some other thing. This is the thing. The thing is people that love Jesus, that come together, they integrate in a community, they build relationships, and then they go out, out of here, go away, go away, leave, go, <laughs> and be Jesus out in the world. Like, why is our expression of Christianity in the church for everybody? You know what I mean? It's like we put camouflage on when we walk out the door. Why have we been doing that for the last two decades? I don't want to do that. I don't want the church to be carnival central, like it's everything central. Like, I want you to pray in your homes. I want you, when people come over, I want you to sing a song to Jesus together. Have you ever, when someone came to your house, said, hey, let's take a minute to worship Jesus together? Or is it only for this building? And if so, why is that? And if so, where did you find that in the scripture? Or who taught you that? And it's not like every time I'm, somebody comes over, I'm like, this is the day. This is. <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, let's change this idea that we have of who is, what Christianity is and what the church is supposed to be. And let's have a place where we all come together with hot, burning hearts for God. And then we go out into the world. You know, that's the idea. Is that a good idea? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Not because it's my idea, but it's the idea that's been passed down from the primitive church and Acts, the book of Acts chapter 2, down through to us. That's why it's a great idea. It's not a great idea because it's a new idea. It's not a great idea because you love my pants this morning. And they're great pants, by the way. These are great pants. 
It's a great idea because it's from the Bible. And it was handed down from the fathers of the faith to us. That's why it's a great idea. Amen? You know what else is a great idea? Praying for our missionaries, the missionaries that we support from King's Church. Micah and Haley Studer have been supported since day one of King's Church, and he is in Dubai, and he is one of the primary leads getting people out of Afghanistan right now. And he texted me late, late Friday night, and he said, David, there was a family in one of, my, one of our house churches in Afghanistan, and the Taliban killed the entire family, all 12 of them. Two, two days ago, executed the entire family. And he said, it's really painful, and there's lots of weeping here right now, and please have the church pray for us as we're standing for Jesus. And there's wisdom, and their strategy, and they're trying to get people out, and it's very complex. But can I just ask you as a church, can you pray for Micah and Haley Studer? If you don't know their names, just put it in your phone right now. Just take, pull, pull out your phone and say, I'm going to pray for Micah and Haley Studer. And they are our missionaries. Um, let's get them on our web website. Where's Ashley? Ashley, can we, let's get them on our website and let's do a post. Let's, let's post about them so we can get people to see their faces and all that kind of stuff. Amen, church? I didn't, I didn't know what to say to him. I said, we'll be praying for you. I'm, we're, we're standing with you. But this is why um, freedom matters. This is why... Righteous governments matter because if you take away righteous leaders, the scripture says that when wicked, the wicked rule, the people mourn, and that, that is happening. So God, would you be with Micah and Haley right now and bring, give them wisdom, Lord? God, would you bring them a strategy as they lead the underground church, Father, as they're in uh, the, the fields with wolves, God, would you protect them? Would you place your angels around them in Jesus' name? Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, I have about 15 minutes, and I'm going to just spend a little bit of time with this thought here. And I, I titled this sermon, Saul's Snare. And if you read through this portion of First Samuel chapter 18, you come upon this very bizarre passage of Scripture. And so, if, you, if you've been following with us, you have King David, and what happened is, well, he's not king yet, but he will be soon. He's defeated Goliath, and a part of the promise, part of the benefit package for uh, defeating Goliath was he was going to be able to get um, some cash. He wasn't going to have to pay taxes for the rest of his life. Can I get an amen? Um, and he was going to get to marry the king's daughter, which this is not just like you get somebody to marry. This is you're now in the game. You're, you're married to royalty. Your, your blood is locked into the line that's ruling the nation. This is a big deal. And Saul is really nervous about David, so he gives his first wife that was supposed to be a part of this deal, gives her away to another dude. But Mikhail, um, and I think that's how I've heard people pronounce her name, Mikhail. I don't like to pronounce it Michael because that's my name, and that's a man's name, clearly, and not a girl's name. Um, it says this, verse 20. Now Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. And Saul thought this, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistine 
may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, Hey, you shall come and be my son-in-law. And the whole plan was Saul was giving a gift to David for the purpose of snaring him, for the purpose of destroying him. And it looked good on, on, on every level. First, it had been promised to him as part of the bounty of killing the giant. Second of all, it was a wife. And the scripture says that he who finds a wife finds a good thing and finds blessing from the Lord his God. Just so you know, King's Church, we're a get married and have kids church. That's what kind of church we are. Why? Because the Bible says so. It's not because of my pants. It's not because of the coolness level of my pants. It's because the Bible says that men and women, one of God's plans for you as a young single person, those of you who are young and single or middle-aged and single, is to get married and to give God godly offspring. The section says in Malachi chapter 2 that God desires godly offspring from the righteous. And so it seems like a blessing. It's being given by Saul. He's, gets, he's supposed to get the deal. Marriage is a blessing. All of this stuff seems to be lining up. And it is a trap by Saul to snare and destroy David. And the story is a really gruesome story. And I'm not going to totally get into all the details. I just don't feel like it this morning. And Saul says, I'm going to use this gift and this method that I forced David to take to get her. He's got to kill all these Philistines in a really gross and intimate way. He's never going to do it, and he's going to die. And then I finally get rid of the problem child that is David, and the kingdom will finally be normal and cleaned up, and we're ready to roll here. I was thinking about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says this, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful for me. All, thing, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. There are things in our life that we feel bring us pleasure, make us feel good, they're okay, but they become a snare because they're not from the right source. They're not given at the right time. Paul says, all things are lawful for me. He's clearly not saying that murder is lawful, right? Do you, do you understand that? He's not saying, like, I'm allowed to just go grand theft auto the, the streets I'm not I'm, I'm, he's not saying that I can do whatever I want he's saying in the bounds of God's law I can do whatever I want in the bounds of God's moral decree Ten Commandments don't kill anybody don't steal stuff etc etc I can do whatever I want but Christians don't understand that they think when they see the word law in the New Testament they equate it to every word that was written from Genesis chapter 1 to the book of Malachi, right? They think all of the Old Testament law is when the scripture says law. When the scripture says law, there are two basic distinctions. One is the ceremonial temple law, and the other is the moral law that God gave to man. The moral law that he gave to man never changed. It never went away. He's never said, hey, you can just kill whoever you want. You know that commandment about not killing? I don't really care. You're in Christ. I don't care about that anymore. The moral laws still are very important for the believer. But Paul is saying, I'm not talking about, I'm saying inside of the basic terms of the moral law, I could really do anything I want in Christ. I can go anywhere. I can take any job. I can have any set of friendships. 
There's, I can do anything inside of this set. But he says, but not all things are profitable for me, and I won't be dominated or domineered or caught or trapped by any of them. And we have a, we have a body of Christ right now that feels like, you know, I have the freedom to do whatever I want in Christ Jesus, and so I'm going to experiment with sexual immorality, I'm going to experiment with drunkenness, I'm going to experiment with wrong consumption, I'm going to experiment with idolatry, and we think it's not a big deal, I have freedom, I'm, I'm not going to get too much in trouble, I'm just going to like put my toes in the water, but all of those things are traps set to dominate you. They're traps ensnared by which once you touch it, it says in the Proverbs that he who goes down to the, to the house of the temptress, he never comes back the same again. There's something that fundamentally changes when a man indulges in sexual immorality. Something deep and effective happens in the soul. 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but I will not be dominated by anything. Relationships can be a snare. It can be something that feels like a gift. It feels great. Maybe the person's even a Christian. But maybe their relationship actually pushes you away from God. I remember when I was in Bible school first year, I found the worst kid. I was like, I had a radar to find the, mo the most evil person. And I was like, you're my best friend now. <laughs> because I was a bad kid. And our relationship, we were both Christians, propelled me away from God, not towards him. C.S. Lewis in The Four Loves says, he talks about friendship, and he basically says, friendship has a purpose. He said, most people don't understand this. Most people think friendships are just like me enjoying the company of another. He says, every relationship has a purpose and a direction. Have you ever felt like when you hang out with, one, with a certain kind of person, like you're talking about a certain kind of thing, you're thinking about a certain kind of thing, that's because relationships inherently have direction because part of friendship is serving one and another. And in service, you're serving a what, or a thing, or a why, or a how. And C.S. Lewis says part of these loves is that you're picking friendships not just because they make you feel great, but because you're serving one another, and, and for us as believers, in our destinies with God. And that was what we talked about two or three weeks ago with Jonathan and David. Like when David's heart was knit to Jonathan's, they're like dynamite and fire against the forces of hell. And sometimes we have relationships that just feel good, but they don't get us any closer to God at all. Relationships can be a snare. The enemy has all kinds of snares in our current culture, um, and I don't have time to go get into it, but I just want to say just like this blanket thing because bizarrely it seems like an odd thing to say in the church. If you're a single person and you're dating an unsaved person, that is not a Christian thing to do. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. It's at a base minimum saying don't get married to unbelievers, at a bare minimum. And then there's a lot of people that are like, you know what, I'm just going to evangelism date, and at some point after we've had our third kid, hopefully they'll show up to church and stop doing the Ouija board. I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful. <laughs> it's not a good idea. You want to surround yourself intentionally with relationships that propel you towards God. That's been one of the great blessings of the last year, being surrounded with 
um, new friends, a lot of new relationships. If you don't know the whole story, our church kind of blew up a couple of years ago. God used it in an incredible way. But I have new friends and relationships that propel me towards God, and it's been incredible. One of my friends is Gabe Finocchio, who moved here. When did you move here? Three months ago? Five months ago? Has it been that long? Wow, jeez. Time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> and you get around people of God who talk about the things of God, who are consumed by the things of God, the word of God, the ways of God, and it propels you towards God. It actually is an incredible benefit. It's like super awesome. Like, how do you get closer to God? One of the ways is by surrounding yourself with people that love God. And so when you're around them, you're propelled one to another in relationship with God. Amen? You know, there's this other thing that's a snare, and I just want to mention it real quick. Spiritual welfare is a snare. Spiritual welfare is the idea of you get grace given to you. Jesus loves you. Come to church, say the prayer. Grace, sins forgiven. But you never take responsibility. You never mature from grace to responsibility. Now, when I have a baby, when uh, my father sent me these pictures of Leon when he was a little fat baby. It was beautiful. I should, I'll show it to you later, okay? Fat, beautiful. I wasn't like, hey, buddy, listen, as a baby, I really am frustrated that you haven't changed the oil of dad's car yet. So here's a wrench. Get under there. You're small enough to crawl easily. Get under there and get to work. You don't require responsibility in babies, right? You give them welfare. You fare them well. You give them unconditional love and encouragement and grace. They're allowed to defecate in their own pants, and you don't care. It's part of the deal. But as they grow up, you give them responsibility, and they mature into real adult human beings that you don't just love, but you appreciate, and they partner with you in the destiny of the family. But the church member that's been only given grace is a grown-up baby in the pew that's taken no responsibility for themselves or for their actions or for their place in the world, and it's disgusting. And we have... Our, 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 our attractional churches has be, have become welfare churches that only feed grace and the milk and the softness and the forgiveness over and over, and they never challenge. And so you have people that are in these places that are giant babies in diapers, and they're filling the pews. And um, I just said this. I wrote this down. I said, grace initially given as a free gift is initially given as a free gift. But living in grace without taking responsibility leaves you in spiritual squalor. At some point, we say, okay, God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Now show me where I need to take responsibility. Show me where I need to have pain come in my life, where I need to be co confronted, where I need to be encouraged, where I need to be challenged so that I can grow into the mature man or woman of God that God's called me to. Amen? This is what um, Ravenhill says. He says, Pentecost meant pain, and we have so much pleasure. Pentecost meant burden, and we love ease. Pentecost means prison, and most of us would do anything but to go to prison for our dear Christ's sake. Pentecost relived would have many of us in jail. The men um, 
in this season are reading through a Ravenhill book. So if you haven't joined a small group and you'd like to be encouraged in the midweek and have your butt kicked by Ravenhill, <laughs> you can please join the men's small group. There's a ladies small group too. Um, and you could still jump into those. Okay, let's read here in verse 25. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistine. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, though, David arose and went along with his men and killed 200 of the Philistine. And David brought the pieces back. And when Saul knew that the Lord was with David and Michael and Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David than ever. So Saul was David's enemy continually. This is the amazing thing about the snare or the trap. When you're living dummy life and you're not living close to Jesus, it's easy to get snared and trapped and caught up and stuck and you're in the mud and mire and then you fall backwards and the enemy jumps all over you. But when you're walking with Christ Jesus, when you're living actively in relationship, the snare doesn't work on you. Check this scripture out. Psalm 91, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for he, it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. For the believer walking with Christ Jesus, the snare is not something to be worried about. It's not even an issue. And we see, like, a big storm on the horizon. We're like, oh, man, God, this looks scary. You know, I'm, I don't know if I'm going to lose my job. I don't know what's happening here in my life. Things look scary. The snare, the trap for the person who's loving Jesus and following him is always an opportunity for the kingdom of God to actually advance. We had, you know, if you don't know the story briefly, we had this, a church explosion a year and a half ago. And I thought everyone was going to leave and we were going to have to pack up and, and, you know, just continue doing whatever our life was before that. And I remembered seeing Jesus and he was holding my shoulders and he was laughing this booming cannon laughter and, I, and not knowing that he said, he was saying to me, what you think is a trap, what you think is a problem, what you think is chaos, I brought and I'm going to use it to ex expedite the entire process, to turn what seems like the enemy thinks he's having a win and it turns into a victory for the people of God. Worship team, you can come on up. I want to read from Acts chapter 2. It says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you through miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. You know, I think about the COVID stuff. The, the mandatory vaccines, people, I, I, I don't know if you know this, but I get 20 a week individuals contacting my office either through the church or through my law office and saying, can you please help me with this? I don't want to do this. I don't believe in either the stem cell element or I just don't want a government that forces me to stab myself with a needle. I don't want that. And I've been talking to people and some people are losing their jobs and some people are having... They're totally fine. They can handle it. Um, they're, there's, they're getting exemptions. Life is easy. But it feels like when you're in chaos, whether it's 
mandatory vaccines or COVID lockdowns or whatever it is, it feels like that God's not aware. It feels like he's like, where'd you go, God? I don't know what's going on in my life. It says this, it says, but God did among you through his, through his foreknowledge, through God's deliberate plan, that he knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knows exactly what's going to happen. And every day in our life is written in his book. And it says this, and even with the help of wicked men, Jesus was put to death. They, they nailed him on the cross. I just think that's, how weird is that? Like God had deliberate knowledge. It was his plan. He was using the wicked. And the wicked were rejoicing. Party, party time. All the demons had little party hats. I saw it in the spirit once. It was crazy. And they're, they're in this moment where they think they're beating they think they're beating God. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Because for those who are found in the shadow of the Most High, who abide in the secret place, the snare doesn't work on. Those who are found alive with Christ Jesus, the trap doesn't work. It actually springs you into your destiny in God. It springs you into the purposes of God. And I want to um, encourage you guys today because we have a church that's full of the brave uh, those of you who feel like, I don't, I, I have, I have areas of chaos and I don't know how to navigate them. Could I just tell you that your only obligation is to abide in the shadow of the Almighty, to be found underneath his wing. What does that look like, Pastor? That's, that's I don't know enough with the poetic stuff. That means we spend time with God. We seek him in our prayer closet. We, 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 we read his word and we say, God, I need your presence in my life. I can't figure this stuff out. And his promise to his people is that the snare has no effect on them. And as Saul sets the snare for David and tries to trap him and destroy him, it springs him forth in victory. It's amazing. As the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of hell tried to hold Jesus and bind him and kill him and think they had the trap set, it was the greatest victory that we've ever seen in the history of man. The darker, the deeper the trap, the more glorious the win for the people of God. Amen? Why don't you stand up with me? Father, we thank you that you love us, God. And your, your desire is for us to be abiding under the shadow of your wing, in the shadow of the Almighty, close to you, so close that when the sun comes out, we're protected in your shadow. When the beating heat of the day, when, 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 the, when, the, when the pounding 
of the agitation of the world upon us is around us. We're found hidden in your shadow. And we don't even have to worry or fret or figure it out, but we have to rely on your presence and your goodness. God, we're, I am incredibly grateful for being called to New York City in such a time as this, to this place, to the people of God, Lord, and I ask as the pastor of this church, God, that your hand of protection and deliverance would be over your people. God, I just declare your purposes, God, that they would see the world around them with kingdom purposes, God, with kingdom perspective, Lord. Jesus, we thank you that you died and rose again, that you defeated death and the grave in order to bring many sons and daughters into the kingdom, that you made a way where there was no way, an invitation to know the Father. And I just want, I don't know everybody here, so if you don't know Jesus and you're saying, David, I want to know a God that loves me that much. I want to know someone who has cares for me that much, who has a plan for me, who wants to protect me. I want to know that kind of God. It's really easy. Jesus says it's simple. If we repent and turn from our sins and turn towards Jesus and have faith in the Son of God who died and rose again, then we can have new life in Christ Jesus. If that's you today, raise your hand and say, David, that's me. I want to pray. That's one. Is there anybody else? Okay, that's great. Pray with me right now. God, I come to you today. I repent from my sins. I turn away from them. And Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again. And I ask that you would come and live inside of me and make me new. I come to you and I ask for you to be my Savior and my Lord. If you prayed that prayer, I believe that God's Spirit is drawing you close. Ravenhill says, we think we can have a baby in just like a minute at the end of the service with a one-minute prayer. And he says, sometimes it actually takes travail. He said, sometimes it takes seeking the throne of God and saying, I don't, I'm just not just doing this intention, intellectual ascent to a belief system, but I'm seeking the throne of God and saying, God, change my heart. He wants us to believe. He wants us to have faith. But he wants us to call on his spirit to change us. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.